This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, Dandy Dan's, the Diamond Cabaret, and of course, Shotgun Willie's. Our city is blessed with many iconic and storied strip clubs. But is the business of a strip club still viable in the Denver of 2023? We're talking economics, labor, regulations, and John Morant with Denver Post reporter Megan Ululani Boyanton. Today is Monday, August 7th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Megan Ululani Boynton, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And my producer, Paul, is here as well. Hi, Paul. Hey, Megan. Hey, Bree. So, Megan, are strip clubs a dying business? I wouldn't say dying, but definitely changing. I've learned a lot about the strip club industry and writing this story, more than I thought that I would ever know. Yeah? Where are we at? Where are we at with these things? Yeah. So uh, the market size of the industry nationwide is actually shrinking. And so what I learned is that this is not um, recession-proof industry. For hmm. instance, back in 2008, like it got hit hard, just like every other industry, it had to change during COVID. And now that we're kind of in like a shaky economic forecast, it's still kind of, it looks like uh, dancers never really know, you know like what kind of money they're going to make when they uh, go on stage. So it's more about economics than maybe it seems at, at first. Because like, I have to say that, I, I've, COVID, okay, COVID for sure, mm-hmm. right? Things that were in person. Right. A strip club is absolutely, that's what you go there for, (laughs) to be in an experience with another person. Um, So I could understand where that could be a downturn. But like, I guess when you say economics, it's like the the business itself is shrinking. Is it because people aren't spending as much money? Definitely. Like customers aren't? Yeah. Uh, Hmm. In times of like economic uncertainty, I mean, visiting a strip club is one of the first things to go. Uh, So people aren't spending the cash that they used to. And then also there's the fact that like we're in a time where you can be in bed and watch OnlyFans or, you know, porn. And Mm -hmm. so people uh, feel like it's less convenient to go for that in-person experience unless they're part of like a bachelor or bachelorette party or are just extroverts like that. And like the bachelor bachelorette party, I would assume is not as big of a money maker for a dancer because it's like a stop that someone's making with their friends on the way to go do other things. You know, it's not like they're coming in. I mean, maybe you're coming in with a lot of money, but my experience with bachelor (laughs) or bachelorette parties is we're it's the entertainment value it's the it's 
it's the last hurrah aspect of right. it versus let's go spend a lot of money at the store. And they're club. usually younger. So a lot of dancers too kind of rely on regulars and these regular customers will follow them to different clubs. Um, and the, that's kind of how they know that they're going to make money that night. Um, one dancer that I talked to said that she actually won't go into work unless she has like some regulars lined up who are going to be coming by because then she knows it'll be worth it. Because ultimately, um, strippers have to pay to be at the clubs. They have house fees. They have to tip out the staff. And so there are times when, yes, girls will bring home thousands of dollars, but then there are other times when they'll owe the house hundreds. And so they actually, you know, went in, worked, and then leave like with $300 less. Well, we're, we're talking about the dancers a little bit and like where their, what their choices are, are mm-hmm. you know, and OnlyFans you mentioned. What, what allegiance or what purpose does the club serve for the dancers? Why do they need it? Yeah, especially if they have to pay into it. Yeah. And it's not like they get benefits or time off or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's it's just like paying to work. Yeah, ultimately it does come down to the money because, I mean, one of the dancers I talked to said she can make anywhere between 200 to $2,000. I think, too, like with social media and OnlyFans, you really have to like cultivate a following. And so that takes a lot of time. And sometimes, you know, when you're strapped for cash, uh, it makes more sense to go in and, you know, you can leave with thousands of dollars. The OnlyFans part I'm so curious about because I would assume if I was someone in in the sex work world, I would Mm -hmm. way rather prefer that Mm -hmm. to the end, especially because you're not paying out the house when you are running your OnlyFans. Is that like cutting into the strip club's revenues in general? Like are more and more people turning to OnlyFans? Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're competing with. And I talked to a professor who specializes in covering um, the world of sex work uh, over in Kentucky at Morehouse. She told me that, you know, there's just people, like you said, go to strip clubs for the in-person experience. So it's like they can't really compete with the OnlyFans or, you know, um, social media because, uh, like, that's their business model. They can't change that business model. You know, if they start to try and do something online, then that's that's camming. So it's like they've just kind of... It's a different... Exactly. Um, Yeah. Hmm. So it's interesting. We'll see kind of, you know, I think her uh, conclusion was that she thinks strip clubs are always going to be around, but are we going to have as many as we do now? Probably not. I mean, we don't have as many as we did in the 90s. And that was, you know, considered the golden age because it had gone through like this kind of resurgence where strip clubs are glamorized, where like a lot of businessmen were going. It was kind of looked at as, uh, I don't know, uh, a more glamorous activity than it was in the 70s. Definitely. They said it was a little bit seedier back then. Well, that kind of brings us back to um, the current moment where Mm -hmm. we're going through this new change of the post pandemic period. And maybe we could talk about Denver, how it's impacting our the market here. How, Mm -hmm. How big is it? How many clubs, how many people do you think are actually involved in this? So that's a good question. Um, from my own research, I was able to see that we have like more than a dozen clubs, but it was hard to pin down a number because I reached out to the Colorado Secretary of State to try and see how many strip clubs we have across the state. And uh, they actually don't track the industry that a business operates yeah, in. The, that was so interesting. I know, the, the number or you know how many employees they have. And I was like, huh. Or even just like, Assumptions you make from maybe a business name because I know the I think it's the LLC of shotguns is the Bavarian Inn shows up on your oh, credit really? card. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's what shows up on your <laughs> no credit <way>. card. <laughs> yeah, I, because I think that's like a protection for their customers. Yeah, definitely. But I would also mm-hmm. assume how would you track that from an official state if it wasn't just like oh yeah. shotgun willies players club huh. PTs Scarlets Bavarian Inn. 
<laughs> is that a restaurant? <laughs> exactly. But I but I feel like it like you you pointed out this detail that they don't track it. I feel like that's kind of important. Like how do you regulate it? Doesn't it require special policies or like mm. do do lawmakers talk about this ever this industry? I mean, not that I've you know, been able to find in my own research, but it does seem that there's some interest in. Um, so, what I had talked with uh, the professor about is that a lot of times um, dancers can get screwed, you know, when it comes to their jobs because they're actually like not considered full time employees. They're considered right. like contract workers or gig workers. And so it's like, and then they have to pay out the house. And so it's like, there are a lot of questions being raised in the Denver area about, you know, like, are they getting paid minimum wage? Are they being treated, you mm-hmm. know, like, like, you know, full-time employees? The, the you know, or, it's yeah. like tipping culture to it, the max exactly. of like it's all that uncertainty. It's any other labor force issue, exactly. I think. That's what I really loved about your story, Megan, was you sort of demystified some of that, like you're saying, is like the misconception that sex work is... Uh, you're rolling in money like right. I, th- where in, in reality it's more like a gig it can be more like a gig worker experience where you have ups and downs but you mm-hmm. have zero security you don't get a salary you don't have health care you don't get a tax refund at the end of the year if I know as a freelance person yeah. so I think it was helpful to understand the precarious nature of this industry for um, the workers that do it it's like any other labor industry There's maybe an exploitative angle to it. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So we're back, and... We wanted to talk to you because you wrote this story about strip clubs and, and the economics part of it was really interesting to us because there's also this this new business or this Paul, this talk, big player, <laughs> yeah, talk big about fish this, in a little pond. This other like in. sort of Hooters style restaurant, which again is not about a strip this? club. But... You wrote about the company RCI, oh, RCI Hospitality Holdings. Holdings. Yeah, another one of these mysterious names right. <laughs> with a lot of. So I think you know, it's for RCI is for Rick's Cabaret. Right. Yeah. That's the biggest brand that they own. Yeah. So they own Ricks, Scarlets, and yeah. And I did read when I was like looking through their um their investor reports uh, that they own Bombshells, right? Yes. Yeah. I I think apparently huge in the South. Yeah. I I saw that it was pretty big in Texas. But it's this World War II themed Hooters style. restaurant yeah. and bar and sounds I, like boomers would go crazy for that that's what we were saying <laughs> that's what we thought was like i know exactly who the target clientele is but like is that a growing clientele because to me that feels like a shrinking clientele i think that i would agree with that it's just a bizarre and i do well, want to make sure we're not equating hooters style that 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 kind of a restaurant to a strip club they're different but i think that they 
probably cater in some sense to very similar crowds. Well, it's owned by the same guy and he yeah, has true. his own theory true. about this, which okay. is the thing that captured my imagination about this company was he said he is making this big buy in Denver by opening the bomb shells across from the DCPA from buying up that giant food hall that Troy Guard was doing down in Greenwood Village. That's He's spending right. like tens of millions of dollars because he says that the Denver market is flush with young single men who work in the tech industry. Hmm. Huh. I know. That's what my response What do you was. think about that? Hmm. I think that's interesting. <laughs> I think I think those are only fans people. I don't yeah, think that, they're going to bombshells. Well, that would be my assumption yeah. too, is it's like any other trend for younger folks is if you can get it on an app or it's accessible in an easier way, you're probably going to do that. Definitely. Because we're more online. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I mean, this sounds more like a place that like somebody like my dad's age would go to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's what I thought was weird. And, but also, I mean, we have to, I don't, I don't know how this plays into the experiential Ex the, right. like this idea about experiences mm -hmm. like millennials love experiences me meow wolf <laughs> is a immersive experience right. like is a strip club the immersive version of only fans <laughs> like maybe i don't know could probably argue that um yeah i just also i mean for him to say that this is like a market that's flush with people in the tech industry i mean look at all the cuts that the tech industry is making mm -hmm. right now too so it's like i don't know i guess we'll see how this business decision plays out i'll it's, definitely keep an eye on it at the post it's kind of fun to see the the way the web of the economy the local economy works like that together mm -hmm. with tech and this and strip clubs like coming together but it's all over about people and their values and what they want to spend their money on it's so interesting but also we've talked about with the how the internet works is every hyper niche thing you want to access is there so yeah. and i would say strip clubs are on on the whole especially here in colorado mm -hmm. very heteronormative definitely and i wonder how much that is intersecting with young people's a tastes and desires yeah. however i was able to so mm -hmm. it was very difficult for me to get a hold of the managers of the clubs of course yeah i can only imagine why they wouldn't want to talk to the press <laughs> um but i live uh near um boys town which is a right. uh, a, gay a gay strip club totally uh on south broadway and uh their owner was more than happy to kind of chat with me and um even he said that uh ever since the pandemic it's been it's been really tough yeah, to good. to recover as a business and they've been open for i think it was i think they're close to two decades now and yeah and they cater to the lgbt community so and is it's tough anything, for everybody is there anything different about the business the way they operate other than the transparency you know being open to talking to you i think uh what i noticed is i i don't think their dancers make as much as like hmm. um i think the in part because it's like a more of a regular bar it's yeah. not but like i've been there and i know a lot of friends that go there and we're not like to going for a, yeah we're not going right. for a bachelorette party we're going to hang out with other queer people yeah <laughs> so it's like but also i think what's interesting is i'm not surprised that he talked to you because i think the lgbtq community is way more embracing Definitely. of sex work and the understanding of its intricacies within mm -hmm. our communities versus the sort of high up in the castle owner mm -hmm. of shotguns versus where the dancers are as sort of the gig workers so yeah. I don't know. I never, I didn't even, when we, we've, this whole time we've been talking about strip clubs, <laughs> Boys Town did not once cross my mind because it's like, 
a more regular hangout place to me. Yeah. Well, um, there's one other local story that we were hoping to talk about that's kind of oh, uh, <laughs> hilarious. Do you know the John ja Morant Shotgun oh, Willie story? Of course. Megan, can, does someone want to summarize it? Bree, maybe you could summarize it. Well, he it? was he, he plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's a young star. NBA. NBA. High-flying superstar. A very fast player, fun guy to watch. But he's had some really off the problematic off the court situations and one of them involved him being in a strip club here in Denver and uh showing a gun I believe on Instagram live like and it, it was annoying to me because it got wrapped up in the fact that he was in a strip club which is like sort of not important to the story but as a result of that, he, I mean, this was, there were multiple incidents with him. I think two different ones with a situation with a gun, but Shotgun Millie's had a, a little bit of a moment on the national stage. Yeah, that's for what a I'm interested in. Is, this didn't happen in just any strip club. This is the iconic and not Denver, Glendale. And did, specifically Glendale <laughs> strip they, club. Didn't they turn, did they turn over surveillance tape or something? I don't know. I, I thought I saw. I thought I saw a screenshot of the surveillance tape I, in one of the stories, I and there's just cash everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> but like, but that was also. I think that was one of the issues with this. Beyond that, was betraying your customers' experience. Oh, because shotguns sold out. Kind of when like you Damn. don't have to. You don't do sell that. Out your high roller. I mean, he's bringing money into the well, club. Also, that just night. like why are you selling anyone out? This is your business. These yeah. are your customers. Also, like privacy for your dancers i don't know it was a whole they've been in hot water legally for a while yeah they have and i think they're probably wanting to maintain relationships yeah i don't know but it was it was interesting because my guess for a moment people were like oh denver has a crazy strep club and i'm like well (laughs) yes but anyway but anyway megan the question (laughs) the question i have about this crazy situation is ja he's a high roller Mm -hmm. who how do the the dancers see him what is his role in the in the economy of strip clubs like is he a regular type of like, customer they get the high oh, definitely roller. not yeah no i, I think figured. that when they encounter a high roller at least from the stories that i was told it's usually maybe once twice three times in their like you know career so far and granted two of the women that i talked to are like 24 26 so like they're still pretty early on um one of them's 35 and i think she's probably seen more um but yeah it's High rollers are kind of are pretty rare. Um, usually, it's a lot of people get their money from regulars, um, the regular customers that are loyal to them, and they know they're gonna get you know. So uh, that like movie picture that we have of the high roller is really a, ra- a rarity. Definitely, definitely at Shotguns or the Bavarian Inn. Whatever, <laughs> it's alias. I mean, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking more so than like somewhere that's famous has a you know like right. Atlanta's mm-hmm. uh, right. maybe somewhere in Miami. Or, like, yeah, Las Vegas, like the well, the places that are known. That says something about Denver that our iconic club doesn't doesn't have a lot of high rollers. <laughs> um, oh man, that's kind of a bummer. Actually, I want to live in a city where there are anyway. Um, well, we might get there one day, Paul. We might, we but might. I also with think all that these young tech. Uh, <laughs> if only we could that get feels the, so elusive to me. I'll be honest <laughs> with you, Megan Ululani Boynton. Thanks Thank for joining so us. Much this was fun. In. Thanks, guys, so much. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Strip clubs.
Because let's be honest, there's so much more to say, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear about your experiences at all the local spots. Your crazy shotgun willy stories are more than welcome. But we also want to hear about the real day to day, too. Have you ever worked at a strip club? Did you ever pop in for a lunch special and love the food? Call the Droopy Shotgun hotline at 720-500-5418 and leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood. And finally, Mayor Mike Johnston greenlit his first sweep of homeless encampments last Friday. He visited the camp at 22nd and Stout earlier in the week to meet with residents and presumably discuss the alleged rat infestation that he said made the sweep necessary. The mayor said he'd offer housing to residents of any swept camp, but that was not the case on Friday. More housing units are in the pipeline, though, according to Mayor Mike. We'll talk about it all tomorrow morning on the show. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Ja Moran about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. I have a natural mullet. That's the shape my hair wakes up in every morning. So I think I also would have done better in the 80s, Paul.